Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 14, Episode 41. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Wednesday, Steelers Nation. Dave, as we start gearing uh, up and looking towards the team's Sunday game, Week 8 against the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll get first injury report today. Just had the Mike Tomlin press conference on Tuesday. Players back at practice after getting the bonus day, the victory Monday, and then had their normal Tuesday off. So, Right now, things feeling pretty good in Pittsburgh. Yeah, uh, get uh, get to that halfway mark of the season and four and two, and uh, things you know kind of kind of looking up. Got a uh, Jaguars team coming in uh, that that you know look they they've had a good season, but you know, this is definitely a a winnable game. You start looking ahead at some of the news around the NFL when it comes to you know the, to some of the Steelers. Uh, upcoming games and you know what's going on in, in 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 Tennessee at the quarterback position and you know obviously the Colts have lost uh, uh, their rookie quarterback later on in the season uh, you know there's reason to have a little bit of optimism I think especially as we go into I really like to look and target these next uh, like I said these next uh, three four games here you got uh, uh, obviously Jaguars Tennessee and then the Packers and 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 the Browns and man what's going on with Deshaun Watson in that shoulder I mean is he gonna ultimately gonna have to uh, shut this thing down uh, you know as well so anyway you just move past that uh, win that this team big win that this team got uh, in in week seven uh, against the Rams and uh, let's see if they can take down these Jaguars on Sunday. For sure, that's where we will start. But we'll also start here with some housekeeping. Pittsburgh, as they typically do on Tuesday, working out several players and making a couple of practice squad moves in the process. Pittsburgh signing a pair of players on Tuesday and linebacker Caleb Johnson and tight end Scotty Washington, both to the practice squad. So that's where they're going to start things off. Uh, Washington has one game of experience, I believe, with New England Patriots, a wide receiver in college, turn tight end Johnson. Uh, started his college career at UCLA, transferred to Miami. He's with the Jets this offseason uh, in corresponding moves to create the roster spots for those players. Tight end Noah Gindorf and offensive tackle Obena Ize were released. And so I probably assume here there's some depth being added for linebacker with Cole Holcomb dealing with an ankle injury and with Pat Frymuth on injured reserve. Washington being signed, oh, that's a one-to-one replacement for Gindorf. He's, he's playing Evan Ingram this week. That's why. Yeah. That's probably a good point. Yeah, he's kind of he's got something like the body type, kind of that more athletic move tight end type of do, which is how they use Ingram. So probably, as you said, good scout team preparation for him. Yeah, and I know uh, disappointed that 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 uh, Noah uh, you know, is, is the tight end cut here, but uh, uh, we we might not have seen the last of him on the practice squad. You know, if he stays unsigned, uh, maybe. Next time they cycle back around and play play the Ravens or 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 you know somebody with a bigger body kind of blocking tight end maybe he'll be on on the call sheet there. That's why it's it's dangerous sometimes to get attached to some of these 
uh, practice squad guys because they 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 do keep in mind a the injury factor. I think you hit on it with 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 the Cole Holcomb uh, thing. Probably going to be uh, missing him at the early portion of the week there. Uh, and then the other factors that go into practice squad is you know can you get somebody in there that better emulates someone uh, on on the opposition. And I, I I snuck around on Twitter and went back and looked at a couple of uh, there obviously not many highlights uh, NFL wise for Scotty Washington. But you go back to some of that Wake Forest uh, tape on him. Uh, some impressive stuff. He, he's a kind of a, an above-the-rim kind of player because of that size. I think he catches the ball, high points it uh, real well. And as you mentioned, kind of kind of inter- introducing him there, uh, the fact that you know, wide receiver turn turn tight in. And and that's kind of fits the mold of the uh, the Evan Ingram. So probably a good player to have in to, to, to kind of work against the Steelers in practice this week. Yeah, it's a great point. It's one of those kind of subtle things about how rosters get constructed. In this case, right. a practice squad, scout team, you get in a quarterback that's mobile when you're facing a Lamar Jackson in a particular week or an athletic move tight end. Uh, somebody like that can can kind of give you that look. So uh, those are kind of the, the minutia of how an NFL week can work. Mm-hmm. All right, Dave, let's flip now to the Steelers injury situation per Mike Tomlin holding his usual Tuesday press conference and generally speaking, a pretty clean bill of health. You only uh, name really of note of coming out of the Rams game as linebacker Cole Holcomb with the ankle injury, which was suffered in game. He did return to the game, although did not play a ton late in that contest. Quan Alexander getting a lot of the the fourth quarter, you know, nickel dime package snaps in that one. Um, Tomlin saying that Holcomb may be limited early in the week, but we'll see how things go. I don't, I don't think it's a necessarily a huge concern for him for Sunday, but we will monitor that because that's kind of the one thing to look at. Uh, Mike Tomlin also saying that Anthony McFarlane, the running back, will be continued to be monitored on injured reserve. He practiced in full last week, was not activated off of injured reserve. We'll see if he is this Sunday, and also gave a quick no update on Cam Hayward, who remains on IR with that groin injury. The expectation, the thought is he'll be back within three to four weeks. But again, just wait and see when his window may at least open up for him to return to practice. Holcomb didn't miss many snaps in that game with that ankle, but it probably it probably smarted quite a bit after <laughs> uh, after the game. He played what fifty six. He, he played eighty two percent of the snaps. So and there was sixty eight in the game. So I guess that the math on that is he missed twelve snaps in total there. So yeah, probably can go ahead and pencil him on the injury report uh, this week, and we'll see whatever what other bumps and bruises associated with play uh, show up. They're probably going to be a rest day in there mm-hmm. uh, for what Larry Ogan, Joby and Pat Pete probably. And say Malu uh, might get a day. Yeah. So we'll have to see how that shakes out, but it seems like Cole Holcomb's the one to watch. And with Anthony McFarlane, uh, they're still carrying a 52 man roster, right? They probably will. I'm guessing they will up until Saturday. So We'll have to uh, see if this is the week that they uh, that they uh, activate Anthony McFarlane, and if they need to activate uh, or elevate anybody else on 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 top of it there. And yeah, you know, we 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 all would like to have a, a definite time frame on Cam Hayward, but you know Mike Mike Thomas is not going to provide that, and he doesn't have to at sure. this stage with him on IR. Sure, and and the first step back will be again that window opening up, him returning the practice, probably going to need well. You think he, this is a guy that'll need two weeks to get ready, or do you think one week and then they can put him out there whenever that window opens up? A la Deontay Johnson. Yeah, that's a great question. He might need 
Uh, Might need you know, two weeks with the groin, getting your your legs back, your conditioning back. Possibly. Uh, I mean, I, I would imagine once the window get, I look, you, you don't know about these things, but if I had to guess, I would say his 21 day window gets open and then he's not activated that first game after that, but possibly the second game after that. But I mean, he is, you know, a veteran and, you know, knows how to take care of his body and all. So it's not out of the question. It's just a guess. I'm with you, but they need him. The sooner they can get him back, you know, even if it's going to be for that first game back to play 30 snaps or something, sure. you, know, you, you take that. And just a, a quick sidebar, I had this in my terrible take. Didn't mention this, but but should have had it as a footnote from this Rams game. Isaiah Loudermilk, zero snaps mm-hmm. against the Rams, despite dressing, being active. He's been part of this rotation. Now, DeMarvin Leal did come back, but I'm guessing, assuming the Steeline room stays healthy, once Kim Haywood returns... We're going to see the end of Isaiah Loudermilk on a 53-man roster in Pittsburgh. It's either him or uh, Braden Fajoko, right? Yeah, that's true, too. That's true, too. But I, I point is, I think they've soured on Loudermilk, and rightfully so. He's just not really offering, never offered anything as a pass rusher, and his run defense, frankly, has never been that great either. So well, that, that, you know, it's, it's probably going to be a defensive lineman as a reciprocal move whenever that happens. Right, right. So I know that's a little bit down the, uh, the the road there, but just want to mention that on Louder Milk. All right, Dave, what else did Mike Tomlin have to say? A lot of commentary about uh, the officiating and the taunting calls, and we can talk about what Big Ben had to say about George Pickens and some of the penalties that were assessed against Pittsburgh's wide receivers. But Mike Tomlin taking the blame for the penalties and saying they didn't do enough early on in the game to address the tenor. The word of the day was tenor for Mike Tomlin on basically how tight and little leeway the refs were going to give players for taunting and smack talking and kind of, you know, doing some of that post-snap type of stuff. So Mike Tomlin saying they did not do a good enough job adjusting to the way the refs were going to call this game. I didn't look at it after the press conference. I wonder if there is a history of of that crew and the unsportsmanlike stuff, you know? Well, what someone had said, it's a good point. Because you've seen some of these, especially pregame skirmishes been taking place that I think maybe the NFL was trying to crack down on some of this for this week um, to try to eliminate some of that, you know, pregame stuff that doesn't bleed over into the middle of a game where guys are really getting after each other. Uh, And also he mentioned about because Najee was worked up pretty, pretty early uh, in that game against the Rams. And I think Mike Tomlin mentioned something about, you know, there were there were, there were possibly a few signs there that this thing that they weren't going to tolerate a lot of that stuff. Right, I have some clips actually. I think on I forget what it, it was, was an early Monday. run, wasn't it? What, his, what? his first two two of his first three touches, the first catch he had, he runs straight at the corner, like doesn't even try to get yards. He's just going after the number fourteen there and talks to him a bit. And then on his second actual carry, he gets in Ernest Jones, the linebacker's face, and really starts drawing at him a good bit. So. Harris was playing with an edge early in this one. That's what Tomlin is referring to. I wonder what, you know, what a good question would have been for Mike Tomlin was, you know, how, uh, cause you know, some, obviously Mike Tomlin doesn't, doesn't give, give you a lot during those press conferences and all like that. And, uh, not to the degree of a bill Belichick or anything like that. But, uh, you know, if you ask bill Belichick, the right question, you'll get, you'll get 
more information than you bargain for uh, uh, sometimes. Uh, now, usually it's related to the history ga- of the game or position or, 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 or something like that when, when you're dealing with Belichick. But I, 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 I would have probably asked him what kind of preparation goes in on a work week when it, when it comes to uh, official officiating crews. That's a good question. I, I would like to know the answer myself. I, I don't know. There's probably some attention paid to it generally because, you know, even you what post about kind of who the official is going to be mm-hmm. and what they call and what their track record for the season is. There's probably an element of that, but I think also more importantly, once you get into the game, you kind of get a real feel for exactly how this game is being called and Tomlin citing that the refs, you know, early on were basically making it clear, as you said, they weren't going to tolerate any sort of you know, extracurricular activities between players, shenanigans, there you go. And so those are probably things you really adjust to the most once you get into a game and, and really see. It's like a like a baseball game. You get an umpire behind home plate. You really get a feel for that day, how he's calling stuff, how wide or how tight the strike zone is. That's probably where you really start to adjust things. Right. Uh, you know, look, and all I do when uh, uh, the officiating assignments come out is really, you know, just post them on Twitter along with with with, with a link to it and all like that. Sure, but it's still good to know, and you want to get a feel for how a crew's been calling things, but you never know on a particular day how they might be adjusting or if there was some sort of message or memo from the NFL about a particular week about what they want to emphasize, those types of things. So, uh, you know, Tomlin taking the blame for that one. Uh, I guess since we're on the topic, you know, Big Ben on his podcast on Monday came down pretty hard on George Pickens for those taunting calls and really came down hard on Mike Tomlin, too, for saying essentially – how long will this continue to happen? How long will this continue to go on? And at some point, it's gonna it's gonna hurt this team and, and, and bite them in the butt. So that's gonna be the uh, the thought there from uh, from Big Ben. And I want to get your your commentary on that, Dave. Yeah, you know, Ben. I mean, does does it does this thing need need to be nipped in the bud? Yes. Uh, and I I would imagine there's been you know, a couple of extra conversations uh, between Mike Tomlin and Mike Tomlin didn't seem too worried about it. Once again, he, he put it more on just uh, himself and the coaching staff, but there, there, there's a probably, probably a few extra uh, conversations uh, between, you know, not only Mike Tomlin and, 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 and Pickens and Deontay Johnson, but I, I bet that's covered again uh, during a meeting this week where they say, look, you know, uh, I understand the emotion of the game and all like that, but we have just have got to get a better feel of how these things, because trash talk is going to happen. And George obviously talked about how they ran antagonize them and all like that. You just got to be smarter about that stuff. Let your, let your play be the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the major talk on the field. Are you as concerned as Ben is seemingly concerned about these penalties? Pickens, I think as you pointed out, has been penalized yeah. a ton this year, last year. Is there any concern? It's not, that it's not a great track record so far. I mean, uh, he does. I mean, you go back to even go back to even training camp with him uh, showing Joey Porter that uh, that that ball after that big catch. You know, uh, I I think George is a very caught in the moment type of guy, uh, and and I think he lives in 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 the now. So I long story short, do I think that's the last time we talk about a George uh, Pickens taunting penalty this season? 
if I had to bet, I'd say we're, we'll, we'll talk about an, I just hope it's not in a key moment where it costs, cost the team. So, uh, I, am I worried to some degree? I, like I said, I don't think that's the last one he gets this season. I hope it is, but, uh, it just, I, I think that's who he is. Yeah. I think he's a, a very, uh, in the moment, uh, type player that, that likes one upping the opposition and letting them know about it. Well, I think that's where Ben point Ben's point really rings true because what if the Steelers lost this game or what right. if that penalty was a, a moment that really shifted the momentum in the course of the game. And if this keeps happening, eventually it's going to catch up to you and eventually it's going to become a really big talking point. It's not in this game because overall, besides the penalties, Pickens played well as a receiver and Pittsburgh, of course, won the game. So I think Ben's point in that perspective is where it's at its most truthful and most agreeable because, you know, you want to prevent these problems from being problems before they become things that are right in your face and become things that get talked about as headline news. Look, I'd probably get three or four of those a game. <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> uh, like I said, yeah, these guys are competitors and uh, I, I really think George is, and I think George likes getting the best. I just, uh, once again, I, 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 I'm willing to bet a, a small portion of a team meeting this week is dedicated to, 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 to talking to about, about that kind of stuff. Sure. Sure. So that was, um, I think a lot of the commentary to start off Tomlin press conference. What else did Mike Tomlin have to say that caught your attention, Dave? Uh, he was asked about that, uh, post, you know, the, uh, the, the one with Deontay Johnson there and did, did Gene Steratore talk about that? I know there's an article on the trib about it and I'm guessing that maybe stems from radio interview. I, I did not read the article, uh, but I'm guessing that stems from Gene's usually on, on, on DV, uh, DVE, I think on Mondays and has a segment. Uh, on there, but Mike Tomlin talked about, did he ever get, uh, uh, in, in, an explanation of why it was considered offsetting there. And Mike Tomlin said, yeah, they, in a, in a, in a roundabout way, Mike Tomlin was kind of in, I guess, confused about that as well too. But he, but he said he never went, he never got a, a direct response from a white hat, meaning, meaning the, 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 the mm -hmm. head ref referee on that. So I think we're I'll have to go back and maybe listen to what Gene Gene's uh, Steratore had had to say on the radio there and all like that. But there seems like there, at least Mike Tomlin was maybe wondering about that as well. Yeah, we talked about that, I believe, on the Monday live stream, maybe even during the podcast. I can't quite remember uh, the idea that, that that should have been a dead ball foul occurring after the play. So the DPI on a Keller Witherspoon should have still counted. So should have been a first down. The penalty should not have offset. but. Uh, I think Tomlin went as far to say that at one point he was told that Johnson's actions was a continuation of the moment, which I don't think it was at all. It came way after, after the play was clearly over. But, mm -hmm. you know, again, I don't know the rules too well and don't have a whole lot else to add here. Right. Uh, let's see. What else did uh, Mike Tomlin have to say that was notable? Well, just to kind of wrap up the officiating aspect about why he challenged mm -hmm. that sideline catch by Puka Nakua essentially saying that he didn't like the way the Rams were working at such great pace and basically saying he didn't even have a great intel about was it a catch or not, did not really get any information. It seems like from 
the coach's box, but just from his own visual and just knowing it was a close play, rolled a dice and hoped that he would be right. But really was not incredibly confident about it because he didn't have the information about, you know, replay and someone analyzing it, but just trying to kind of take the gamble and hope it would work. It would, it would work out. Obviously it did not, but that's his explanation. We, we have the luxury of sitting here at home and watching watching the replays uh, right away. But you would think that the coach is up. At, but it was kind of they, they were hurrying to the line and all like that. So you got to make a decision there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't I don't begrudge him uh, for because look in real time. I because Mika comes over there and pops some pretty good. You know, it, it, it all happened so quick over there on the sideline that my initial thought was how did there's no way he was in bounds with that one, you know, right in the moment live. Sure. Uh, and I, I, I can only imagine, you know, they're, they're rushing up to get the next play. You got to make a decision on that quick. So I, I don't begrudge Mike Tomlin for, 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 for challenging that one. Yeah. I mean, I get it ultimately. And I mean, it was really close even before you get into the whole conversation about the heel versus the toe and what the ruling might be there. Just even the toe aspect alone, it is you know right there on the sideline. So if you're just watching it live, you really don't know for sure. And you know, it's super close. So you take that chance overall, but that's the explanation there for Mike Tomlin. All right. Uh, what else was notable from Mike Tomlin? He says, uh, uh, if you remember, we moved Cam Sutton. This is in reference to Patrick Peterson and moving around more. Uh, we moved Cam Sutton around a lot. Essentially, he is Cam Sutton. And so position flexibility was an attractive component to the acquisition of him. Maybe at one point uh, you, you can compare uh, Patrick Peterson to, 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 to Cam Sutton, but not right now. <laughs> Well, and I guess in usage alone, usage, they're trying to make it yeah. similar. Sure, that was the plan when Peterson got signed, obviously. And I think even Grady Brown during the offseason at some point made that comparison that he's going to be this team's version of Cam Sutton for 2023. And we saw that really at its fullest and most on display in that Rams game. I did the charting for how Pittsburgh shuffled up their cornerback room. He played his most slot snaps of the entire season, 31 against the Rams, played some dimebacker and safety rotation and you know played left corner and right corner so he really was used in a in a Sutton like role now you know are the results the same is the talent the same different discussion but from a pure assignment standpoint in this game they were very similar mm-hmm. what's going to happen this week you put uh Peterson on Ingram a bunch uh, I don't know if you do that. I think you might see some Minka more or less on Ingram. You get some of those safeties on those guys. You see, you know, Minka cover of Mark Andrews and, and those types of talents. Um, but, you know, I imagine that Peterson's going to be rotating quite a bit again, especially as Levi Wallace continues to struggle and as Joey Porter Jr. continues to ascend and pick up snaps. Uh, he was asked about the impact of having, uh, Dan Moore back and asked about how, how did he think he played? He says, I thought he was really solid, not only in his play, but his demeanor. He brings a grown man approach to it. Uh, thought he was really good. So high praise. Uh, and look, Dan Moore played a great game. He really did. Uh, and you know, a lot of us were, were questioning, uh, the decision ahead of this uh, is now the time to go ahead and put Broderick Jones in there coming off of the game that he had uh, against the Ravens. Uh, I think for now, Mike Tomlin's vindicated with that decision to play Dan Moore, at least in this one game this past week. And according 
there's nothing to think at this very given moment coming out of this press conference. And obviously, you know, the depth chart that they release in the uh, 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 game package every week is not, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's unofficially, it's, it's officially unofficial, if you will. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's no reason to think that Dan Moore won't start again at left tackle against the Jaguars. Oh yeah. He's the guy and he'll be the guy unless he gets hurt as he did against Houston, or if he really struggles for a two, three game type of stretch, but they made their decision. Moore's their guy. He played well. So we move on. What do you think about the speculation about if the Steelers were to trade anybody away at this point, it would be Dan Moore. I think ESPN had that uh, in one of their league wide, you know, uh, trade deadlines coming. Who's most mm-hmm. likely to be traded from each team? Kind of uh, post. What do you, I, I believe Dan Moore was the, the one was. Uh, highlighted yeah. in in there. Uh, what do you fodder. think about that? I mean, yeah, it's fodder. Hey, I don't. You know, I, I I'm sure you agree with me. I would be absolutely absolutely stunned if they traded uh, Dan. Moore. In fact, really, if if they were to trade anybody away on that offensive line at this very given moment, I could potentially see Chukwuma Korfor being the guy sent away. If you're talking about tackle specific, but even then, I would be shocked if that happened. It'd be one thing if this team was two and four and not four and two, and mm. you know you're, you're starting to uh, 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 look at uh, you know <laughs> sell things up. But you know the Steelers are, are those kind of, that that type of team anyway. They never think they're out of it. You know, right. Uh, when, when it comes to selling off pieces and all like that, uh, I just, you know, and I was asked this yesterday on Twitter about, you know, my buying, yeah, the speculation somehow in these things, in this age of social media, speculation turns into reports, you know, uh, people perceiving it that, oh, the Steelers are trying to shop Dan Moore when all it is is speculation that if they were to trade somebody, it would be Dan Moore. Uh, I, I'll put it to you this way. I, I'll, I'll be shocked if they, A, if they, if they deal anybody away at mm-hmm. this point, uh, B, I'll, I'll be highly shocked, shocked if it's an, you know, an offensive lineman and notably Dan Moore. Yeah, he's not going to get dealt here. It's just fodder. You know, you have to pick a name. They're doing this lean-white exercise. Everyone's got to put up a name. So and even if you're a you know competitive team that's not going to trade away any assets, you still have to make up a, a name there. So it's not Moore's not going to get dealt. I, I don't know who I would put if I was forced to you know write that down and say who's the most likely stealer to get traded. I have no idea who that would be, but it won't be Dan Moore, and as you said, probably won't be anybody. Right. What did you think about Mike Tomlin's commentary? He does not care about the lack of tight end production, just cares about you know, doing what's required to win games. Obviously, Pat Frymuth and his absence has had an impact on that. But even before he got hurt in that Texans game, not like they were lighting him up with targets and you know passes and numbers that were similar to his first two seasons, despite Deontay Johnson being out since the third quarter of week number one. So Darnell Washington has one catch. Connor Hayward, just what, seven, eight grabs this year. Not much there from the tight end group. What were your thoughts on Tomlin's response? Uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty vanilla, per, per, pretty generic. I mean, would we all like to see the tight end involved more uh, than than has happened? I, I, as we talked the other day, either on, I forget it was on a live stream or on 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 the podcast with the personnel that they have right now. I, I think it's going to be hard to 
have an offensive game plan where you go into it and say, you know what, we got to, you know, th- this is a type of game where we can get the tight end eight targets, you know, or something like that. I, I think generally uh, you're restricted uh, overall with, with, with the talent that you have in there right now. Look, Connor Hayward, you can use Connor Hayward the way you used him uh, and have used him. I mean, I thought it was a great kind of wind back that you highlighted uh, on that play that got him even deeper down in the red zone the other day against the Rams. Uh, they took their shot down the middle of the field. Those haven't gone too well really since the Falcons game with Connor Hayward last year, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, if you get the right right matchup and all, but if you're you know, if you got a good, if you got a team that's that that's that's, uh, and and you get the right look, say like a Tampa two, where you've got somebody uh, running down the field, either Kenny's going to have to start getting that ball out a little bit quicker, uh, and all, and it, look as good a hands that as, as Connor has, he, you know, he doesn't have a lot of length to him, right? So uh, it's not like you know. Can can you maybe map up something? Maybe try you know a guy like uh, Washington down the middle of, of the field once a game. Yeah, I, I suppose that's possible. I just kind of think that your tight end targets, whatever they are, especially until Pat Firemuth uh, gets back, are going to be more of your short air yard type variety. Sure, but you're not really even seeing many of those. You would right. think in some of that play action, the boot game, you know, Washington's catch came off of a boot to the left. As you mentioned, that windback play action, which was a really nice play call by Matt Canada to Hayward. Some of those easy yardage, you know, red zone, first and 10, third and short type of stuff where you feel like the tight end can get involved. I guess the, the question I have is, and the answer might be yes, because they're doing it, but can you... Can your whole passing game essentially run through right now two people with George Pickens and Deontay Johnson, your outside receivers? You look at this game, that's basically where all the production came from. Allen Robinson had a key catch, but just one reception, seven snaps for Calvin Austin, your tight ends. You know, Hayward had a couple of grabs. That was about it. But, you know, can you the the question has always been about can you sustain and can this team sustain with just their, their two outside receivers? Now, granted, it was great to get Johnson back, and that was a huge benefit a benefit because of his route running and post-catch ability and taking pressure off of George Pickens. So that's huge, but is that is that what it's going to be? Is it going to be the Deontay Johnson and George Pickens show and everybody else is just, you know, plan plan Z on this on this passing game chart? I think it's sustainable if you can run the football. Okay, that's fair. That's a valid point. And I think obviously when you have a Deontay on the outside, that may pull some of those safeties out of the box and allow you to run the ball a bit more effectively. But this, this team isn't, you know, per, you know, per, even though we saw, look, I, I thought they did a, a lot better job of, of getting the ball ball in space to these guys. We saw what Pickens on a, uh, on a couple of slants in this one. We saw Pickens uh, later in the second half there against uh, kind of uh, one of those sim pressure uh, Tampa two where the, where, where the linebacker from the opposite sides, the one having to come carry the middle of the field and, and Kenny stood in there and delivered a, a nice football to him running down the middle of the field. I think you got to continue, try to try, try to get when you know you have guys like Deontay 
and 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 Pickens, uh, uh, either one isolated uh, to run those kind of slants. We saw a couple of times in this game uh, those smash uh, return uh, concepts with Deontay Johnson. Unfortunately, that first one that they ran in the game uh, was negated by. I think that was the one that was negated by the George Pickens mm-hmm. uh, uh, blindside block. But they uh, they went back to it in the second half. You know, and that's that's that that was a third down play that busted uh, huge once again. Uh, that's 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 you you got to see more of that stuff. Now, I I think that you've got to find a way maybe to integrate a couple of more targets in for a Calvin Austin when he's on the field. You don't want the red blinking light on. Oh, here comes Calvin Austin. You know, but uh, and thus I think you probably need to give him more uh, 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 another handful of snaps to go along with that. But uh, uh, I think to, to answer your question, can can you get away with what they predominantly like to do, which is uh, really an outside the numbers uh, kind of game? Those back shoulders, those deep uh, uh, throws, and then mix in some of these quick, you know get the ball in, in, in the hands of receivers in space on these slants, on these, uh, 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 smash returns, uh, that kind of stuff there. I think that's what they're going to have to do. And and that's kind of what I'm, I'm expecting because even, even though we saw the green dot show up a little bit more in the middle of the field against the Rams, it wasn't a lot past, you know, especially past 10 yards. Right. Well, yeah, because they have you. All they did was target their outside receivers in in Pickens and Johnson. Nothing from the tight ends and nothing from your slot receivers. Besides, again, that one grab by by Robinson on that uh, final pass by Kenny Pickett. So you're not going to get much production there when you aren't targeting those type of people. And and I can live with that overall. I mean, if you can ideally have your outside receivers, you know, win in their variety of ways and, and let those guys make big plays, and you get your tight ends underneath and your play action boot game with a healthy run game. That's good enough to win this defense that can make some uh, some splash. And so that's a good game plan. But it just, you know, you just want to try to look at some variety because there will be games where your receiver can't get open. Defenses are taking them away. Can other guys step up and win? So you just want to make sure that those guys can can be called upon. And, and Pat will come back at some point this season. And, and that'll be, you know, an important asset in the past game as well. But just thinking out loud here about, you know, how can you get the, t- the tight ends a bit more involved and what concepts can you use that'll help them? and help this offense as well. Well, as we mentioned the other day, you know, when you got a guy like uh, Darnell Washington and, 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 and the catch radius with him and all like that, he's somebody that you really got to consider inside the red zone. Uh, second, uh, going back to kind of the, the things that he did at Georgia there, I think is perfect opportunity uh, to have him kind of, uh, uh, release quickly off the line on some of these misdirections and, uh, uh, a one yard pass to him that lets him get the ball in his hands and, and turn up field and, and try to do some punishment on some of those defensive backs. I think that's, that's an area where you can get him involved. And, you know, as you mentioned, I think on, on the Monday show, can, can you, you know, throw a, an extra target or two to him, maybe running down the middle of the field to see how that goes uh, and all, but I, I think you're, you're limited overall with kind of what you have right now. And look, I mean, can, can they get right, you know, can, can you sneak a target to Rodney Williams in here? I think that's possible. Sure. He's athletic. They they had one in this game, I think, right? So, I mean, he's he's a really good athlete. He's got some size to him as well. So there's something that maybe you can do with that. Yeah, with Washington. I mean, I don't know if you can just, you know, 
draw it up in a in a conventional pass game down the seam and get him open. But can you you know run play action, pull the guard, and hit hit the tight end real quick down the seam? They used to run that play all the time with Ben. You know, just pull the guard, kind of a quick you know almost pop pass to uh, Heath Miller or whoever the you know Jesse James, the wide tight end was. Can you do that with a Washington? Uh, that's a possibility, but. You know, just trying to scheme this stuff up. And and to be fair, I think some of these guys are more red zone type of targets. You saw Hayward get his catch down there. You saw where you know that Washington is on paper kind of a red zone type of dude. And coming into this Rams game, especially, they have not had many red zone attempts, not many red zone plays. And so they have not really been able to use that package of plays too often this year. So hopefully with more fluidity with the offense, a better run game, Deontay Johnson's return, et cetera, there will just be more red zone opportunities, which will hopefully inevitably create some more chances for the tight ends. Cause you know, Pat Frymuth with only eight catches this year, but two of them had been touchdowns to them right. uh, in the red zone. So you kind of open up those things when you just have a larger menu of plays and more variety to, to work with. Yeah. Unfortunately with him, it's going to be in at least another three games before they get him back. So yeah, be interesting to see if we're talking on, on, on Monday about, man, they, they were able to get the tight ends involved a little bit more. Not Mike Tomlin doesn't seem too concerned about it though. No, but I, honestly, I think the biggest concern with the tight end group is is not their lack of receptions, but how well can they block? You know, can you get something from that group? Because you're kind of in this weird spot right now when Washington is your blocker, but, you know, he's had his struggles there as a rookie. Connor Hayward really can't do those inline wide type of things. You see them in this Rams game. He's not in pass protection. He's not really chipping. He's his splits wider because he can't just kind of that be that traditional inline guy that Rodney Williams is not really that kind of guy either he's a you know former receiver so you know can you get how do you how do you mitigate and overcome their run blocking challenges for a team that has to run the ball effectively you talk about tight end production honestly it's going to come as much from the run game as it needs to come from the pass game more split zone more zoro toss yeah i mean you saw them lean on both those concepts pretty heavily in this game the jalen warren touchdown by the way was a zoro toss going back on the old 22 on that one that was that was zoro and uh warren kind of cut it back that's how the uh play developed uh developed but but that's zoro toss there so i I thought the rams game in a way was a pretty big challenge with that five down front we'll talk about that more when we kind of get into the old 22 but you really saw this team kind of struggle to have great answers because they don't have a really good blocking tight end that might be able to to help them out you hope washington grows into that more than he has obviously that that was the hope sure i mean and i think that he will you know he's he's still a rookie i know he got mm-hmm. me did we oversell the blocking a bit i mean i know I he was so. that guy i i know i know i bit on it i know he was that guy at georgia but was it maybe a little bit of because he was just so freakishly large and Probably. even though yes he's in the sec he's still playing against a bunch of guys that are not going to beat the nfl they're not at the caliber of guys that are you know he's seeing every single sunday and it's still a tough transition and there's still some technical things to work on and leverage things to work on. So maybe, maybe that is a caveat that was not recognized enough. Yeah. Uh, you, you do, I, I probably didn't give enough credence to the, uh, varsity versus JV, <laughs> <laughs> uh, aspect of it. Uh, but boy, he was impressive though. Wasn't he? I mean, he sat sure. some people, he sat some people down. Right. And he has at, at this level, too. I posted a clip on that one zero toss of him wiping out the linebacker. So, again, I think whenever he gets to work angles and down blocks and not have to really Speed. base block. Yeah, I think whenever he can use that and really utilize his strengths, his size, his, uh, his length, his, you know, just overall stature, he's still really effective. And, and I just think he has to work on the base blocks of getting low and playing with good pad level. And that's just the adjustment that he's going to have to make. Right. I agree. 
All right. Anything else for Mike Tomlin? I think that kind of seemed to be. Uh, what do you think about uh, his comments on 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 identity? Well, I mean, and Tomlin even acknowledged this. This was just what uh, Tomlin told Bob Labriola in their you know Sunday pregame interview. And I think Tomlin had mentioned this even prior to that. So at this point, it's kind of become you know, he's just giving the same answer, but essentially saying that a you don't want to reveal your identity publicly because then teams will really, you know, hone in on that. And then but it's also doesn't really become... it identify itself on tape? And, and yeah, that's not, I was going to say that it got me thinking back a- after he had said that, where did the bully ball come? Where did the, where did the bully ball conversation originate? I don't know exactly where I know Tomlin was asked about that. And at some point this off season said we weren't hiding our intentions of who we wanted to be. I don't think that originated with Tomlin, but Somebody, probably sometime during the draft. Yeah. Did, didn't, was it Weidel or I, I, I was trying to think back. Where was the first coming from the Steelers organization was the bully ball reference. Might have been Andy Weidel. Maybe, maybe him. That, that sounds right. I'll try to search it here as we talk about it, but it probably came around the draft when they you know, take Broderick and draft Arnold Washington, et cetera. Um, yeah, I'm looking at May 5th here, looking at a title. Andy Weidel says Steelers will be going back to their roots. We are going to break the will of other teams. So that's a pretty strong comment in that direction. Right, right. I mean, they this team right now, what would you say they're right? What is their identity right now? Gritty. <laughs> Honestly, that's what it is. It, it's keep the score down. It's not turn the ball over offensively, make some splash defensively, win the last five minutes. That's literally been their blueprint of this season and the last several. Right. I mean, it's, it's not a bad identity you had to have as long as you're winning, you know. Obviously. In the regular season, can you do it? In, I think it's a good regular season, high floor model. The question is, what's the ceiling? Does this win against the high-end offenses that put up 30 points a game because you've seen these playoff games. The defense has not done well. They allow 30, 40 plus and the whole model that Pittsburgh tries to work off of goes out the window pretty quickly. I I tell you that last line that Mike Tomlin uh, uh, gave when talking about it sure made it easy to write an article title about, you know, Uh, he says those are just strategic components of today's game. And that's why it makes declaration of identity a stupid endeavor at this juncture. But I agree with you. And I had the same thought. You see it on tape. I mean, if you're a bully ball type of team, you know, it's going to be pretty clear if you're a spread pass happy type of team, it's going to be pretty clear. And so identity is, is something that, you know, good coaching staffs can uncover. But I guess Tomlin's point is don't help them with that research, I guess, is the uh, the thought. All right, Dave. What else? And I have something else here I wanted to um ask you about. I don't know if I did or not. Oh, also the um the opening script and asked about the the slow starts, which has been a continuing conversation because it's been a continuing issue. But Tomlin's saying the, the the scripts are basically fine. The play calls are fine. We have to execute. Cited you know Kenny Pickett missing George Pickens on that deep ball, slightly out of bounds early in that one, a blown protection. Um, you know, saying some things that Tomlin typically does not talk about so openly in a press conference forum. Yeah, basically saying, look, ain't nothing wrong with the script as long as we execute it. Yeah, I was looking back on that sack to see who blew the protection. I'm pretty sure it was Najee. I don't know if you've gone back and looked at that one, Dave, but um, he was I'm on pretty the sure that was on side, Harris. wasn't he? Yeah, I think he's got to come across. It's a full slide protection, and it was a, a interesting game plan, but they, they had the backs taking the, the, the uh, linebackers a lot in this game with the edge rushers because of this full slide protection, and so I'm pretty sure Harris has to come across and pick that guy up. Have you gone back 
there was a couple of conversations between, I think Tomlin and 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 Najee on the sideline. Not that, that those those don't happen. Did, but did that first one come not too soon right after that? I don't know. Probably because if he blew the sack, then they probably are going to address that and talk about that. Because he, I, I have a video coming out later this week on Jalen Warren, and it, it again, it's a it's an interesting game plan, something you don't see too often. But the challenges of that five down front, and also trying to you know get four hands and double Aaron Donald, so. You actually saw, I think, by design, and you almost never see it, the running backs were picking up Michael Hoyt and Byron Young and their outside linebackers, their edge guys. They were responsible for them. It's a, it's a tough task, but uh, you saw that several times in this game. So I think it was actually Harris that blew the protection. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was the uh, the comment there. But e- either way, I mean, the slow starts are you know, become so boring to talk about because it's the it's same conversation. Slow starts, slow starts, slow starts, and nothing really seems to change ever. Right. And look, I mean, they, they can help themselves by converting some of these third downs and, you know, elongating some of these drives and, you know, at least getting them, getting them uh, some of these early drives to finish in field goals or something, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, Dave, let's go to the all 22. Let's start with the Steelers offense. Your thoughts rewatching Kenny Pickett from the coach's tape. Have you has your impression of him changed either way, good or bad? Uh, I thought he I thought he was real poised overall. I thought uh, there were a couple of uh, throws that I would have liked to have seen him uh, make that he didn't make. I think there was a blown looked like a blown coverage on one of those plays that he ended up going out to the uh, to, to the right to who was it Warren I think where uh, I think it was a blown protection that he uh, that he, I, I don't I, I would have been interested to see what he saw with Connor Hayward in the middle of the field there it doesn't look like an uh, uh, obstructed uh, view there that's one throw that I kind of uh, wonder that he he would he he, he should have ripped uh uh, the other one that we talked about on so on on kind of that uh, drift swirl play with uh, that that George Pickens ended up uh, kind of short arming there. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it it felt like Kenny could have set his feet and ripped that, you know, a second earlier, and that been a completion there. I thought the back shoulders were fantastic. Uh, I do wonder on that last one to. Uh, 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 that, that last throw to Deontay that 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 Witherspoon got the the PI on was that a miscommunication where you know one's thinking back shoulder you know one's thinking to to to, to continue the route up don't mm-hmm. don't don't know about that one uh, but the back shoulders were great I thought the the middle of the field throw to Pickens against the the Tampa two was uh, just a you know great. Uh, him standing in the pocket and and, and delivering that one, uh, the smash return to Deontay Johnson. Uh, it just that looked like kind of a funky kind of pause in there by Deontay. I I, I don't know. I, uh, although you go back and you look at the first instance of that, I guess he did kind of run that route. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pretty similar. Pr- pr- pretty pretty similar overall. So it just it felt like to me it just. It, we've seen him run, run that, that whip return, you know, before, and it's looked a lot, lot cleaner to that in, in my recollection. So I don't know if it's by design to kind of, kind of let the smash, uh, part of it develop, uh, uh, in there, but, but regardless on, on the one particular that I'm talking about later in the game there, Deontay does, does get some separation in that, but it's not a lot. 
and Kenny put it right on him, man. I mean, he, uh, that that's a tight window throw right there. And if he doesn't put that ball right where he put it, that's not a completion. And Deontay's not not running out. It was a much easier. It, the first uh, uh, version of that that they had ran going the other way in the first half the one with the George Pickens blindside block, it was a lot easier pit, pitch and catch than the second one was uh, there. But I, I thought his accuracy as a whole was fine. I think he would definitely like to have back that first one down down the sideline because I think that was a completable ball if you dropped that one in the bucket uh, there. But I, I think top to bottom, and I, I think I said this coming out of the game, I, I, I thought he played, I, I thought Kenny all, all, all four quarters played well. Yeah, I I was really doubly impressed watching it on the All-22. I thought coming out of that game, watching it live, it was a good game, great fourth quarter, all those types of things. But really watching it back, you saw some really high-level throws. And yeah, you're right. There's a couple that he would want back, but that's probably happens to every quarterback in 95% uh, of the games in which they play. But you see some of these, you know, A, you see some of the routine stuff routinely, just doing the simple stuff, hitting the check down more in this game, you know, hitting Najee on the first play of the game for eight yards. Yeah, they had the punt to get sacked, but, you know, you get in second and two. That, that's really a big place to be, you know, not being too uh, greedy, as Mike Sullivan would say, just kind of hit your check down, let your back, you know, make a play out there in space. But, you know, throwing the far hash throws to the sideline, um, reading the defense. And I thought most of all, Dave, what he did against pressure, you got some brushes where Aaron Donald's barreling down on you, running free, and you're standing tall in the pocket. And delivering, you look at that, that throw to to Pickens down the seam. There's there's a ton of pressure in his face, and he delivers a great ball with perfect arc that's right on the money for for a big time play. So you know, I, I I've criticized Pickett for bailing on clean pockets, but I've always said, even in the midst of those comments, that he he deals with pressure well whenever it's right there. He'll stand tall, he'll take a shot to make a play. It's when there's not pressure and he thinks there might be pressure. It's when he starts to to run around and get himself into trouble. But he is a guy that has consistently shown he can stand tall in the face of pressure. And there was quite a bit of that in this game. I thought Pickett really rose up in those moments. Yeah, and and look, I mean, that that uh, first time he took that hit right to the midsection, standing in there, that was an incomplete pass over to uh, the left side. But, you know, as, as you noted, you know, standing in there on that key uh, third down to Robinson that didn't get the uh, didn't get the first down. That If you don't have that, that changes the whole complexion of, of the final two-plus two minutes of the game. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I thought... Uh, Pickett was was really good overall in this that was one. His bad, that was what that to me that was his best game of his career. I think. I know you said that Monday, and I'm still kind of simmering on that one because I'm trying to think back, and it's only been two years, but just the, their games all run together. Look at the Baltimore game last year; what he did at the end of that one was super impressive. I, I would say it's easily his best game of the season. That's probably an uncontroversial opinion to have. Best of his career. I, I don't know exactly where, where I would rank things, but it was it was very very good. I thought I, I tell you from a, and especially the fourth quarter was really good for him. But uh, uh, that was his second highest adjusted net yards for passing attempt uh, stat of his career. Uh, I think the Raiders game earlier in the season was 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 higher than that, uh, and he registered it without any touchdown passes and getting sacked twice. Now, does uh does Yak uh play up play up? See, I I'm 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 cooking up a new stat stat here. It's adjusted net yards for passing attempt minus uh uh Yak. 
I, I think I think that's something that that I'm I'm starting to play around with uh, now because I mean let, let, let's face it I mean you even got guys like Mahomes what would Mahomes what would Mahomes adjusted net yards for passing attempt stat look like if you took away a lot of that yak now it, it it's not easy to do because you rely on a quarterback to to extend a play to put the ball in. Right. Especially, especially on extended plays to put the ball uh, to guys to give them run run after catch opportunities, but I think overall at its core, if you were to take take away the yak aspect, especially from a guy like Mahomes, I wonder where he he lands in that. Probably still pretty good because he doesn't take as many sacks, does he? I'm not sure what his sack rate is. He definitely gets himself into occasional trouble, but. I mean, I bet any quarterback-related stat, he's going to look pretty okay in overall. But, I mean, I get I mean, what you're yak, saying. Yak, yak is a huge part of the game, and I'm not holding that against Kenny. Uh, and but I the think, stat will hold it against any quarterback. I mean, like you said, he, he made that great throw to Deontay on his yak. You're, in a sense, penalizing Pickett despite him having a great yak ball for Deontay Johnson, putting that where that pass has to go. Mm-hmm. So, I, I get the stat. It'd be interesting just, just to see the numbers, but... I don't I think it's. I don't think it's definitive. I don't, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think I think all the stat would end up doing is telling you how important Yak, <laughs> sure, Yak is, which we, we already know that anyway. There, but uh, 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 what I'm getting at is is uh, a is. A, I, I thought he was on target and, and had some some uh, very good uh, tight window throws in this game. Uh, good decisions overall, uh, generally, and the fact that he was re- to, to to register such a, a good uh, uh, Justin net yards for pa- passing attempts stat, despite not throwing any touchdown passes and being sacked twice, I think does play into the fact that. He got some good yak in this game, which he no, did. I, I agree. I agree. So, but, but I don't, I don't hold that against him is what I'm trying to say. And what we've been calling for the last couple of years, even, 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 you know, the season before Kenny was we, we've got to see this team have more yak. And that's, that's really in today's NFL, especially with, I mean, I think deep ball around the leagues down, isn't it? You know, uh, that's, that's the hidden yardage that offenses need to win games is in the act game. And they got that in, in this game against the Rams. Yeah. I think you've seen that uh, for sure. Overall, uh, just over the last since uh, I, let me rephrase this from weeks five through seven in the NFL, Kenny Pickett is sixth in adjusted net yards per passing attempt. I know that's a small sample size for him. That's two games. It's three weeks for the NFL, but the last two weeks have been better. His adjusted net yards for passing attempt is 5.3 on the season. Not where it needs to be, but it is rising. It's up, I think, a half uh, point from last season, uh, his rookie season. So we'll see if it continues. It needs to. But those are encouraging signs that you and I nerd out about. And especially, and I like to talk about the 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 the, the, the 20 game mark, right? He's, he's coming right up on that. I think my hope is is that especially when you look at the schedule that's why i've kind of highlighted these next four games is uh man i he he has taken he has taken another step forward in my opinion in these last couple of games i man if he can take that that even next baby step forward in say these next four games 
you know, I, I, I think that would be monumental for him. And I think he can do it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, based what we've seen on these last couple of games, especially if he has the healthy, uh, all, all of his, you know, obviously not going to have Pat Fryermuth out there for, for, for three of these next four. But uh, it's not like we said, not it's not like they were using the living, you know what, out of uh, the tight end anyway there. But uh, I, I think I, I think we'll have a good sense of uh, once again, if these eligible stay healthy after these next four games, I, I think we'll have a good enough uh, swath of games to 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 you know make have a good idea who what he is and what he isn't. And I you mean, said he, that he's not going to be a guy that crushes you complete, you know, consistently down the field with the deep ball up over the top, but he can throw these back shoulders that get, get either just short of explosive plays or right at explosive plays. Uh, we see him deliver that, that, uh, uh, the deep ball down the field against the Ravens, uh, that was just long enough, uh, you know, and 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 the way teams around the NFL are now defending this deep ball, do you need to be able to throw it sixty-eight yards in the air? Yeah, I mean, it's the game's evolving here a little bit, but just to go back to it, you had mentioned it's funny you said it during the bye. You said the next three games are going to be really important for Kenny Pickett, and one game in, and you know, just one game, but really positive results. Yeah, look, I mean, would you? I, I, it was still a, a seven-point something. I, I don't care how you do it. If a quarterback, and, and I think uh, the 49ers quarterback. Uh, uh, Purdy. Yeah, Purdy is an example of this. Man, if you're constantly registering adjusted net yards per passing attempt numbers of, of more than seven, and we know how important. I, I don't care what, what people think about that stat or not. It's important. It means you're not getting sacked a lot. It means you're throwing touchdown passes. And. At its core, it means you're getting yards after the catch. And if you're consistently putting up adjusted net yards for passing attempt numbers of greater than 6.75, you're going to win some games. Plain and simple. Yeah. And, and, and Purdy has. And the, the two games that he hasn't registered at least a seven number, they, the 49ers have lost. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, and if you have a, a defense like Pittsburgh's that gets Cam back, that can be opportunistic. Again, I don't think this defense has been great or even good in a lot of moments, but they are opportunistic. They do create splash. They get pressure. They, they get takeaways. And, you know, failing a, a dominant defense, you better be able to have those those components. So if you can combine those things, that's a competitive winning formula. Look, if he plays like he played against the Rams in these next three games, they're going to have a good shot to, to win all three of them, especially if the run game Man, you look back and and it didn't feel like it did not feel like it in 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 the moment, but the run game was good, man. Was it good or was it just much better than we've seen? I it guess was I'm, I'm it was that, a but it was it, it was, was much a better. Walmart great value <laughs> Ritz cracker compared to the Walmart saltines that we've been eating. Fair. I, That's I, a good. I, I, I think that's the best. That's the best terrible podcast igno- uh, <laughs> analogy uh, that we can get. Look, you you look at the you drill down into the advanced analytics. The Steelers were the were the top had the top successful run rate in the NFL in Week Seven. That blew my mind when you tweeted that. I had to do a double take and be like, "Is this I had a Dave's real it. real Twitter account? Has this been a, a, an imposter?" But yeah, the highest run success rate of the entire week. I, I I knew they ran the ball better. I didn't know it was that successful. I mean, obviously, you get three rushing touchdowns. That's going to help boost those numbers there a little bit. But uh, obviously, a, a great number. Right. So 
uh, and it did not feel like it, it felt, look, it felt like it was better during the game without a doubt because you had guys get to, I mean, it was, it was visible that they were, it, it was cleaner. You know, you had linemen getting off, especially against a guy, you know, a front that includes Aaron Donald and all like that. But uh, it ended up being better than what it looked like on tape, at least statistic, you know, advanced metrics uh, uh, aspect. Uh, we talked about how there was fewer net. I think a key key component that needs to really be highlighted in all this that we talked about the other day, man, negative plays were down. Uh, yeah, I mean, how many? There were still seven, though. Was that how many there were? Yeah, we but I mean, we, we, we were talking a lot higher percentage than that, sure. you know? Double digits, sure. And they ran more plays in general. And two so of those percentage. were sacks, and sacks are going to happen. You know, obviously, you don't want five of them a game, but. Uh, uh, how I'm many talk- negative run plays were there? We, did we talk about that Monday? I wonder, like, negative- two or three of them in total. Yeah, I mean, ex- uh, obviously, excluding the kneel downs that Kenny Pickett had. Now, but- I, I include. Uh, no, no gains as a uh, as negative. a negative play. Sure, I, I think as you should. Um, but I, I, I forget if we check that all these days tend to run together. But I just want to see where that was for Pittsburgh in a in a week by week basis. Because yeah, I mean you know for a team that needs to sustain drives and get things going to win on first down to avoid negativity is obviously you know, paramount. Right. So, you know, that's a big aspect that 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 helped in that game against the Rams. Yeah, I, I just thought, and I know it's a little, it, it is intangible, but you just saw some swagger, some confidence with this O-line as they got some early wins with the run blocking. You know, I'm watching Dan Moore. He's pretty amped up. Mason Cole looks more animated. There just was a bit more of a, yeah, we're going to take it to you mentality. And some of that comes from early runs to kind of give you that confidence uh, to begin with. But I just thought the execution was better. The zone runs were better overall um you know i just you, know, you saw uh some of those uh, uh pulling guards and wham plays and dart schemes and the zoro toss was i thought you know relatively effective in this game the warm touchdown came off of that so that was you know obviously great overall all right what else from offense stuck out to you on the all 22 i want to i want to ask you about and it might be hard to to have this discussion without us watching the tape together, It'd be a great opportunity. If we just like had like an NFL matchup film room, where we're both like watching the same play, the Najee Harris play in which he bounced. I'm going to have a probably unpopular opinion. That's going to make it sound like I am just blindly defending Najee. And it's going to sound that way, but I don't think it was as bad as it looked on tape. As I went back through this one and watched it, but what's your take on that play? Well, a, it was wiped out by a holding penalty anyway. Right, because he bounced it, because Hayward doesn't expect that play to go wide like that, I think. I think you take your four or five yards and and, and potentially try to break a tackle uh, going up, uh, up 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 through the gut way I think it was designed to go. That's That was my takeaway of that one. Okay, um, here's my, because I'm trying to think about, okay, what was, and I'm, oh, let me pull these negative play numbers here, because I'm trying to like mess around with those uh, three negative runs against the Rams. They had, let's go in order here. They had two against the 49ers, but they barely ran the ball against the 49ers. They had, uh, let's see, nine against Cleveland. That's miserable. Uh, Seven against the Rams, four against Houston, five against Baltimore, and then three against. No, not seven against, you said Rams. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Raiders. 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 I'm sorry, LVR, not LAR. Uh, Uh, Seven against the Raiders, uh, 
four against Houston, five against Baltimore, three against the Rams. So besides the 49ers game, which again, they barely ran the ball. They only had three negative runs, also including zero as negative in this game. So that was a, a season best for Pittsburgh. Right. All right. The Najee Harris play. When I watched it live, I thought, you know, I tweeted that, you know, Najee can't bounce that. And I still, you know, I think you can certainly criticize Harris overall. But I think that's a wham block where, because you see, who was it, a core four, and I think the backside guard or Cole go up to the second level. And, you know, whenever you get those wham plays, they're generally designed to be run off the outside hip of the tight end, the guy that's trying to wham and down block on the D tackle. And I think that's where Harris was going. And then he saw that hole was going to get filled by the linebacker. And so he bounced it wide because he was just trying to find some sort of daylight. So I I think that's what happened there. That's why that play looks so bad. Again, you can certainly critique Najee and just say, you know, put your head down, get up field, get whatever you can get there. But I think the design of that play was taking Harris a bit wide to begin with. And then he bounced it once he saw that initial lane was not going to be there. All right. Well, this is the one right where uh, Rob, uh, Robinson's coming in motion at the snap of the football uh, from, from right to left, right? We're talking about the same play here. Uh, I don't have the, I can pull up the timestamp. I don't have the, uh, hold on. Let me, tweet, watching let, me, let me tweet you, uh, what I have from the end zone view here real quick. I mean, it's probably, I mean, it's do, the one where you, you think people like this a lot because this ends uh, up just being a, a talk between yeah. me and you. Is what, I mean, that's what half of these end up being. I, we don't have to spend much time on it. I mean, I know people will, you know, I'm not going to convince anybody. And again, I think you can still criticize, you know, Najee and, and that's fine. I'm just trying to think about, okay, if he, what throws, the play if, if he, if he, if he throws, if he, what is the play call? Right. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, obviously, we can talk about where the where the hole is and all that. But like, what is what is the design of the play call? And this is I think this is a wham block or I mean, a wham scheme. I don't know what exactly you want to call it, but because you see a core four and Cole work up at the second level and, and they do that on those wham blocks. On that, you know, the crunch scheme, for example. Yeah, but where? so in other words, you're thinking, where's the crunch coming in at? Well, it's a little bit different because you don't get that true down block, but you see Washington take the three tech on this play, right? I mean, he's right, he's, but it looks like he's trying tech. to get get into the inside of him and turn him. To me, right. I, he's because trying to the turn ball him to go- the outside. No, he's trying. I think he's trying to turn him inside because the ball goes off his outside hip on those run plays. You know, you think about those those wham and those crunch plays. Where does the ball go? It goes off the outside hip of the tight end on that on that uh, or down block. Okay, but you know how many? T- you know, obviously, you want design runs to go to design to design gaps, right? right. Uh, in a man-blocking scheme, yes. Right. But uh, even within that, it, it's up to the back sometimes to read it, it uh, uh, off of that. And right right, right as he's getting that handoff from Kenny on that situation, uh, to me, that, 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 that screams B-gap. Sure. No, I get that. I'm not trying to really excuse it. I'm trying to explain... Because it looks really bad, and you're trying to wonder, how did Najee have such a bad read on that play? I'm just trying to think about, okay, what is the play call? Where is the ball designed to go? Because that's going to be the back's first inclination of where to start running to, what hole to look towards. So I'm just trying to, like, get uh, Najee's head, and, you know? And doesn't he have to, re- you know, is it, you know, the primary read probably going to be the Washington block there? Uh, yeah, he's running off. I think the design is to run it off the outside hip of him, yes. And, and Washington at the snaps losing that block, right? He doesn't have a great handle on it. I mean, he's trying to, you know, he's he's kind of holding his own there. It's a tough block on on a defensive sure. tackle like that. Um, sure, but, but I, mean, I, th- it, I think you got to I think you got to read that 
because Najee is looking to his right, right there. Right, because I think that ball ideally is supposed to go off. You know, because when they when they run, if you pull up any other wham blocks, where does the ball go? It goes off. They don't run it into the B gap. Uh, they run it off. I mean, it, I'd have to go back and check, but they run it off the hip of the tight end. You run it off the, you know, Washington or Gentry or whatever it was last year. Okay. I still I I I still feel that he's got to read that Washington block and especially with uh knowing that a core four is getting a free release to that second level. And I I I that would also play into you want to cut off that uh that 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 linebacker to be able to keep him from getting around the edge. Yeah, I mean it's a little bit weird because you don't really get the true wham on it. It's really kind of more of a head up block and I you know I wonder if that's just the design of this is not really it puts Washington, I think, in a tough spot. But I'm, again, I'm just trying right, to get let, into the let, side. Let me ask you this: uh, uh, let, Let's assume that 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 that's the case. Uh, could Najee have pressed that to the line better? Uh, no, I don't think. And then I don't, I don't know if I. Nah, no, nah, I think he just wanted to make the quick decision once he saw that that gap was not going to be there. That he just wanted to. I, I think honestly, the critique probably is just. Put your foot in the ground, put your head down, and get a field. Don't bounce right. it and make a, a bad situation that, worse. That's I think my that's, thought. I, I think there's, I think there's four or five yards there. Uh, yeah, I think there's at least not a negative, you know, gain on that play at the very least. Is going to be my, my interpretation of that play. But anyway, I know that's us going down a rabbit hole. It doesn't really matter. But I, I just had that that it it's going to be an unpopular. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be an unpopular opinion. But I, I'm just trying to at least think about what Najee was thinking about on that play at the very least. All right. Besides that, Dave, I thought Jalen Warren and they, pass they, protection. You think they'll ask him about it this week? Probably not, right? No, no one's going to ask about him. Uh, no, not a chance. Um, Jalen Warren, I thought pass protection was great. As I mentioned earlier, that those five down looks that uh, the Rams were running, I thought really stressed the run game, but also pass protection and put Warren in a lot of situations where he's got to bla- uh, block the uh, backside player, uh, the outside linebackers. And so I thought and it doesn't always look pretty, um, but I thought, you know, in a pretty tough circumstance, a pretty tough assignment. You know, to have a guy like Warren that can stand in there, put his face in the fan, is really vital to have. All right, let's go defense because we're running, uh, running long. I think. Okay, O line. You're happy with the O line overall? I'm pretty happy. Yeah, with, with yeah, play. yeah, yeah. I overall. think th- I think collectively that was their best game easily. Yeah. All right, defensively here, Dave. Uh, what are your takeaways? Uh what'd you think about it? Was was my uh, I talked about Montrevious Adams. I don't know how he's going to grade out, yada yada, but. Uh, uh, he he really he really jumped off field, especially in 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 pass rush situations. Yeah, I thought his his first step, his block shedding. I thought you know he made uh, some really good plays there. Some penetration. Thought Ogunjobi got some penetration as two run game uh, had a sack in this one, obviously. So I thought the D line was you know winning up at the winning at the point of attack. They were pretty physical and and getting the backfield as well. All right. Uh, I I thought you know Benton had some good snaps in there. I think you even highlighted a few of those in a film room, right? Yeah, you had that club swim that you pointed out on on old friend Kevin Dotson, but even late in the game, some great effort plays and his hand used to the old hands, hips, feet. His effort I thought was also on display. So not a ton of snaps for him, but you know I thought him and Herbig made those opportunities count. Where did you see the problems in the run game at then? You know, I was really trying to wrap my my head around that. A couple missed tackles. I just think overall. You know, Pittsburgh trying to play the run out of nickel, just not their thing to do. You know, the Rams, because they're that 11 personnel type of team, they're going to spread the field. And Pittsburgh likes whenever it's tight and it's a real, 
as you said, or, or Chris Long said, a rock fight. Like in the run game, they want things tight. They want to be in base. They want to be able to be physical, have three, dine, uh, three down linemen. And when you don't have that uh, really at their disposable, uh, disposal, I should say, uh, things kind of get uh, less than ideal for Pittsburgh. Not to excuse it, but I just think, you know, Pittsburgh trying to consistently play the run at a nickel is not what they like to do. All right. Uh, so was that your takeaway? What were your thoughts on why the, the run defense it, it was? It looked like a couple poor. of bad fields by some linebackers, but uh, I thought overall the defensive line represented himself well. I mean, you had you had a couple instances of, of them getting off blocks uh, good and, and and at least stalemating some stuff where, where I thought, you know, the line, you know, once again, you don't want to get in a habit. It, it, it's great that he's doing it, but you don't want to get in a habit of having to have Minka come down and 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 and, and help like that. Sure, but we're thankful that uh, he's able to do that. I, I did think Quan felt a bit jumpy in this game, kind of jumping in and out of some gaps. Right. Uh, what uh, about the pass game? Yeah, just to watch kind of the slow footedness of those corners of of Wallace of Peterson. Going back and watching the Atwell touchdown, a 31-yarder, do you feel any better, any worse about that play, Dave? I just feel that it's an extended play situation, and uh, like I said the other day, uh, Wallace, once, once Wallace turned around to, to look what's going on behind him, that's when he lost Atwell. And I think just the nature of the way that that ball was thrown and you know Peterson still having to try to stick with his guy, I. I mean, I, I just, I, I, I think it's a fluke play. Yeah, I think so. I just, you know, wall is just, just plaster, you know, anytime right. you're in a scramble it, drill, it, what's the rule? You plaster, you stay right. on your man. I, I think if, if, if you want where, where the blame needs to go was him, him looking back to, to find yeah. out what, what's going on behind him. Because once he did that, he lost at will. Exactly. I mean, I, and I get you trying to find, you know, find the ball, see where the quarterback is, but yeah, you lose your man in that moment. You know, Wallace losing snaps in this game. You know, James Pierre mentioned, I think, on Monday, you know, Pierre picking up snaps late in this one. Um, we'll see. We'll see how they use him against Jacksonville. Uh, what did you see done with Cooper Cup in this one? I mean, nothing, you know, radical. There was some bracket coverage on third down, some safeties coming down to cut crossers. But I don't know if Pittsburgh did anything like, you know, crazy. He had a couple of drops and Puka was making plays. And that's kind of where the ball started to go. Right. You know, they... Uh trying to get guys to run with those guys and, and, and don't think that Jacksonville's not going to try that now uh, underneath stuff. Sure. Sure. I mean, they have, I think some really talented receivers, some great athletes there. So they're going to do similar things. I bet. I think on paper, their offense looks kind of similar to, uh, mm -hmm. to the Rams. Uh, what else uh, stood out on defense in all 22? I mean, those were kind of the big things overall. Again, marveling at the TJ Watt interception. Um, what about the Joey what Porter junior tackling? Yeah, I think he just, yeah, we talked about this in the summer in training camp, dropping his eyes too much and not seeing what he hits. And, um, yeah, that's going to, you're going to miss tackles that way. So you got to, you got to see what you hit there, Joey. All right. Any other final thoughts here, Dave? No, I think, uh, I think we hit most of it. You, you just would like to see them get stouter against the run and then protect better against that, that, that underneath crossing game. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you saw actually Joey have that great uh, breakup on on the cool on a crosser. So he defends the cross. You see the other guys start to to struggle to defend the crosser. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, All right, Dave. Pro probably going to see him play more. You should see him play more than 50, 60% of snaps against Jacksonville, I would think. Yeah, he's going to be. I mean, they have a rotation going on, but he's going to primarily play left corner and you know, play, I think, basically. He played in some base, but 
should at least play in every basically nickel snap and every dime snap. So that's going to give him probably a, a good at least 70% of the snaps right there. All right, we're ready to get to some emails here. Yeah, let's get to some reader emails and close out today's show. Uh, from Scott, do you think future opponents will employ similar strategies, double, triple teaming, chipping, etc., as the Texans and the Rams successfully did to minimize uh, TJ's impact as a pass rusher? TJ recently said he may play on the right side a little bit more uh, moving going forward, but he's also previously stated he's not as comfortable on the right in terms of muscle memory. If future opponents can minimize TJ's impact as a pass rusher, would have to think that Highsmith has to step up even more and get splash plays and turnovers this defense relies upon uh, to win. What are your thoughts on this, given that TJ, uh, uh, given on that as TJ goes, so do the Steelers. Well, look, I mean, without a doubt, would this, would this team be four and two without uh, TJ Watt? Probably not. <laughs> no, they uh, wouldn't be two and four without uh, TJ Watt. Uh, uh, here's the thing. I mean, TJ, it, it, there were a couple times he had two tight ends on him, you know? Uh, yeah. they, they are wanting to make him go through as many bodies as they possibly can. And why wouldn't you, uh, with, within that, I, I, Highsmith's playing well. He is, he is, he's not TJ Watt not at, that, at that level, but I mean, he's, he's had a good season. He's made impact plays. I mean, t- to the question, you know, the Rams and those teams have done that. Every team has done that to TJ Watt though for the last you know three four seasons. What the Rams, what these teams are doing, or not new Buffalo, I thought was really good at, at some of their chipping and wing alignments to disrupt TJ Watt. So n- none of this is radical, or no teams just started to think about doubling and chipping and giving TJ Watt a lot of attention. But the question does become, you know, do, how do you try to, you know, change that chess game and, and take that next step? And Watts talked about, you know, and, and played some right outside linebacker in this game. I mean. I've wrestled with that though, Dave. Yes, he's seen the attention. Yes, you know, should this team be more creative with TJ Watt, move him around more? You see, you know, teams that have Garrett and even Max Cross, he's playing a bit more both sides. But also, despite all that attention, all this guy's done is just get a bunch of sacks. Like he had eight sacks in five weeks despite getting all the attention that he got. So he's still been producing at a at a crazy, absurdly high level despite all the attention. So, you know, is it really broken to be fixed? I guess is the question that I have. Plus, he, he does such a good job, even when having those bodies of reading the quarterback and those Watt swats, right? 100%. Of, of, of knowing when to just stop and 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 read the quarterback. And and I, especially with, the, obviously, the league being predominantly right-handed quarterbacks, I, you want him seeing that quarterback's face. Right. Plus, run defense to that side. Teams run that way a bit more often than the left side. That's valuable to have. So... Listen, I've thought about the idea. I've had the question internally of should they move this guy around more? My first instinct is to say yes, because anytime a guy's getting that much attention, you want to put him in different places to to force defenses or excuse me, offenses to to account for him. But again, the production's been there. Plus, you're playing more into their hands anyway, I think, because teams probably want him moving around more. You think they want him moving around more? Yeah, because I, I, I think he's obviously more effective on the left side. I think that's yeah. it. That that's his game. Maybe. I mean, you know, I also think about you know if you move him around now, somebody else has to move around. Right. Are there unintended consequences of those things? Maybe those actually an impact there negatively. I don't know. I mean, we, we may see TJ move around a bit more, but I, I think I'm, I think we will see it probably to the degree that we saw it in the Rams game. And you, now that your charting's done, how many total times was it that he was on the right side? Three. Four. Three. Three times. Yeah. Okay. 
Prob- pro- yeah. You're probably going to continue to see that. Sure, sure. You probably will. Although, how much value really is there to get three random snaps on the right side? Does that really change the equation too much? I don't know. I guess maybe a little bit. Something else for them to think about. How does Highsmith drop off moving sides? Yeah, again, that's the unintended consequences of it. You know, if you move if you if you move one guy around, you got to move the other guy around, and can he do that as effectively too? So you really have to evaluate more than just just TJ. But how does it impact the other guys? And you know, can Herbig do it? And can Golden do it? I mean, those guys can, and Herbig did. But you got to think about more than just TJ when you talk about you know changing his assignment or alignment. Look, he's still making plays. Within all this is the fact that he's still making plays. And as you noted, this is not new. Uh, the way offenses are attacking TJ Watt. 100%. Uh, Xavier Robinson writes in, do you think it's more likely the Steelers make a trade next week if they win this week or if they lose this week? If we do make a trade, I think we should go after a slot wide receiver or another DB. He says the defense is still much better better than the offense and another weapon that could separate could help offense immensely. If the Steelers do make a trade, what position would the, would the two of you want them to trade for? Uh, all right. Kind of a layered question here. First and foremost, uh, I don't think a win or loss in week eight will escalate or deescalate any of this when it comes to a trade. I'm not saying that a trade's not going to happen. I've learned over the years not to speak definitively like that, but from where I sit right now, I will be quite surprised if they make a trade. If they did make a trade, I think I don't think it would be a slot wide receiver or anything like that. I think it would be for another cornerback. But uh uh even that I I I I I just I don't see it happen. Could you know if the right opportunity presents itself where you can rob somebody of a young player on a, on a, on a, on a, on a, on, a, on a lower salary? Uh, could it happen? Yeah, uh, I think they're standing pat, and I don't think a win or a loss, whatever the turn, uh, whatever the outcome is against the Jaguars, is going to matter one iota. Because once again, I think this team doesn't care where they're at. I think they, even if they lose, I think that they're going to still perceive themselves as being in the thick of this thing, which they will still be with four AFC North games still remaining on the schedule. So I I think you got to throw out the talk about win or loss. And does that matter? Uh, Mm -hmm. would, Would you agree? I agree. I think the mentality is we can compete, we can win, and that will not change regardless of outcome against Jacksonville. If they now he wants to know, uh, Xavier wants to know if they did make a trade, what what position would you want them to trade for? I think it's easily cornerback. Uh, the question just becomes who that cornerback is. That's uh, a much harder question to uh, to determine. Right. If they did make a trade, I could if I could visualize it being for 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 uh, 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 pet, you know more pedigree, younger cornerback. Right. And I, I have you thought about any names the, the last two nights? Not that I've spent much time on this, but spent, you know, 10 minutes just kind of going through depth charts. Have you no. thought about any names besides Patrick so, Sertan, which everyone talks about? He's not going to get dealt. And, and I guess Jalen Johnson in, in Chicago. Uh, have you thought about any other names that might might make some sense? No, I have not. I've thought about a couple. And again, I'm just kind of doing some research. Let me, can I, should I spoil one name right now that I think actually might make? And again, I've not studied this intently and I'm just, I'm trying to pull up some, some data here, but can I spoil one name for you right now? I mean, have at it. It's just going to show up on the internet once you do. (laughs) 
Well, you heard it here first. If you see someone else write about it, maybe I, I might write about something here closer to the deadline. Uh, how about how about CJ Henderson of the Carolina Panthers? 25 years old, last year of his rookie contract, fifth year option's been declined. He's got some pedigree, Florida guy, uh, played some football for them, young guy overall. I'm not saying he's going to be the cure all. I'm sh- sure the Panthers are willing to sell some some people right now. Um, they're, they're probably going to acquire some draft picks and try to rebuild this thing, winless team, and all that. So. What about Henderson as a guy that uh, might be on Pittsburgh's radar? I, I haven't watched, uh, you know, uh, anything on him to be able to uh, comment. You know, I, 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 I don't, he is he in the final year of his contract? I believe so. He is, yes. And, and that means so. In other words, you're talking about a uh, a half a season rental potentially here, unless you decided to franchise him, which are not probably not going to no, do that. Be. No, but I mean, you know, maybe you could always resign the guy, but at least for for the hero now, uh, would be the uh, the thought. All right, being as how you went down that rabbit hole, what do you view he's worth as far as compensation? I mean, it can't be that much overall. I, I mean, I'm just kind of going to spitball a fourth, fifth round pick. I'm not giving up anything higher than a day three selection for a guy with his contractual status, and it's not like he's an all star type of player, but you know, I I just look, I always look at you know who's the young guy who's got some Has he pedigree. Played on the right side with with, with them. Looking at his PFF snaps, I was trying to look up according to PFF this year, 155 snaps at left corner, 101 snaps at right corner. So he has played both spots, Okay, which is important. I think, I think he probably looking for more of a right corner because Porter is primarily your, your left cornerback. But um, let me look at what Henderson did last year really quickly to see what his snap count was there. I can look at that. He was uh, you know, a bit more left than right, but he played 275 snaps at right corner last year, so the guy's pretty well-versed at both spots. I mean, it's as good a name as anything to throw out, specu- you know, speculating if you want to go down that hole. I just, you know, that would probably be the kind of guy that they go after uh, compensation-wise if they did go go after. Uh, who, who uh, then, then you're saying Levi Wallace just comes off the field then? Yeah, likely comes off the field. Yes. All right, and then to make uh, to make room with it for for him, then probably Derry. Uh, I guess Rush will have spent the three weeks, or will he have ha- will he have spent three weeks on the roster? Come that point, mm, he might not, depending on when you do it. I mean, again, it could be who knows how the. I'm not worried about the corresponding move at this particular moment. Injuries could. Could take I, care I of worry that. about that stuff. I know you do, but let, let's if, if I get the Henderson thing right as a Hail Mary, then I'll take my victory lap right. and I'll worry about the corresponding after the fact. I mean, maybe they want to keep Rush around. So I don't know for sure. But that's just one name that just kind of to me, I was trying to see if Pittsburgh had any, any interest in the um in the pre-draft process. But that was the COVID year. So you don't get the pro days. You kind of don't get that kind of stuff where usually we can try to blues clues it uh, as as easily. Uh, it doesn't really apply here. All right, Bryce writes in those dark scheme gap, uh, dark scheme and gap schemes runs look awfully like the Ravens using Gus Edwards to come downhill on us last year in their win at uh, Hinesfield. Do you think the sneaky Steelers took some of those concepts and added it to their shotgun run packages? Look, I mean, it's it's not a new scheme for, for the Steelers. They just don't run it damn near enough, you know? Yeah, I mean, Darth is something that's, you know, in a lot of playbooks. I don't know if. Pittsburgh had it revealed to them by Baltimore. Um, they hadn't used it at all this year. Actually, they used it in, in the summer a couple of times. So they, I think they've had it in their playbook. They just haven't run it in a game this year. But uh, first time we saw it all, all season. 
Uh, even though the next two quarterbacks we play have good escapability at this point, is it time to go more man coverage and ramp up those blitzes even more to stop bleeding, stop the bleeding in the run defense since Adams tends to lose more than he wins at the point of attack? Uh, that's the only way I see them improving against a run. I, I just, I, you know, w- when it comes to the run overall, I think, well, first and foremost, uh, w- when it comes to more man coverage, it depends on how much you're going to probably put Joey on the field and, and what's the down the distance situations. Yeah. There's a lot of variables in that, you know, who your personnel is, you said down the distance, who the opponent is, what their personality, what their talent is. I think to man up against Jacksonville, might be tough to do Dave. They got some talent there. Ingram, Kirk. Um, Ridley, obviously, ETN out of the backfield. You know, you're going to mix up coverage. You're not going to be just one one thing. But playing a lot of man against Jacksonville, I'm not Especially sure about with that. Trevor, one. Trevor, Trevor, take off of that football too. Yeah, that's a good point. He, he's mobile, so you know, maybe not to think to lean on too heavily in this game. I mean, we're, you can we're, also do. Go ahead. I was saying you can do combination coverages too. You know, man one side, zone one side. So there's a lot of things to play. Right. Uh. What. Well, uh, he says, since Adams tends to lose more than he wins at the point of attack. I, let me tell you, Montrevis Adams playing good good overall. Yeah, I don't overstate it. I mean, he's got problems against the run. He can get washed. He's not your prototypical nose tackle that can anchor and, and eat a ton of block. But I think he has improved against doubles and saw that in the Rams game. And he's he's athletic. He's got a great first step and he can penetrate and disrupt. So just want to recognize that his effort. Too, I think he's a great effort run and chase player. You know, big man that can move is, is kind of fun to watch. Uh, look, they can't let Travis ATN eat him up, uh, in this game. That's for sure. Cause he can, he can home run you. Uh, yeah. Chris Lookart writes in good morning, guys. Would the Steelers defense be better off at allowing Porter to follow the best wide receiver on the team and just have the rest of the D play uh, a zone? Or do you think Porter can only play one side because he's, he's not a great fit on the right side to me in order to, to be a great corner. You got to follow the best. I think they're just spoon feeding them in this thing right now. I think they want him to get really, really comfortable at what, what he's doing on the left side right now. And I think, I mean, this team hasn't been a follow, follow, follow a guy around uh, defense in, in, in ages. So uh, I, I wouldn't expect to see that anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, you know, can you play man just with one guy and zone the rest, you know, not as a long-term thing. You can mix that stuff in again. It depends. It depends really as much on, uh, formations and personnel groupings, you know, three by one, you might be able to, you know, lock the backside and play man coverage there and something else two by two might be harder to do. So there's a lot of domino effects there that have to be accounted for, but I mean, he's primarily a left corner. He's played some right corner, he played some right corner against, uh, against the Rams. So he's not just a left corner, but it's a side he's more comfortable on. And so you, you try to keep him there as much, uh, as much as you can. Kane 22 writes in, what was the point of trading up to get Jones if they're not going to play him? I get not wanting to rush him, but if he can't get uh, on the field now, it seems unlikely he will the rest of the year. I think that's too broad of a a statement there. I mean, did did I kind of envision Broderick being on the field by now? Yes, I did. Uh, But with that, within that, I think you go back to just his overall experience and his lack of, uh, I think they're just trying to like, like, like Kane stated here. I think they're just trying to bring him along slow and look, this conversation probably, you know, would be magnified more if they were two and four right now. But I, I think the main thing, when we look at this team, 
as many warts as there is right now, they're a four and two team. And you have Dan Moore coming off of his best game in, 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 in quite some time. Uh, you're not, you're not going to sit him down after this, uh, especially the offensive line having their best collective game uh, right now. I mean, I, I, I no, look, we get it. And, and at this point now with him playing zero snaps, what, what was the stat that we had? You have to go back to Cameron Hayward was the last time not injury related that a first round draft pick of the Steelers has not played X amount of snaps. Yeah, I believe so. Although I think that stat because they don't draft linemen too often is a little, there's some context needed there. I don't think you can extrapolate this out like Kane does and says and say, because if he can't get on the field now, it seems like he unlikely that he will the rest of, of, of the year. I guess he's more about this year. It's it's all going to be dependent on. Look, as I like to say during the, during the, the uh, training camp and, and preseason, these things have a funny way of working themselves out, whether it be injury or poor play. I think they're just uh, 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 let you know let, letting Dan Moore show how long he can hold on to this spot. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I understand the frustration. You know, I had said I thought. If, if I had the choice that Jones would be the starter for this Rams game, but I tip my cap to Dan Moore and I've, I've defended Dan Moore more than I think probably most people throughout his Steelers career. Um, but I would just say there's a, there's a long view to a, to an NFL career for a first round pick for a talented young guy like Broderick Jones. He's not going to be defined by just what happens the first eight weeks of his career. Ideally he was drafted to play 10 plus years in Pittsburgh. And so the way that Cam Hayward, as you mentioned earlier, kind of sat his first two years and people Probably thought, oh, why'd you take this guy? What a bust. Could have drafted this guy instead. I think people are pretty happy with Cam Haywood right now. So let's let's evaluate it in a, in a longer term and a longer scope right. than right now. He gets into another part of his question here. If you could do if you could do over, would you guys still draft Jones when Gonzalez was there for the taking? This team needs another top corner in the worst way right now. Both Smith and Jigba and Flowers were there if you wanted another top wide receiver. Uh, to help pick it out, he says, "I'm all for stacking the O line, but 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 can you afford to have a top 15 pick not be a starter?" Well, I think it boils back to uh, what what's your record right now? Uh, once again, this would be magnified more if we're talking about a two or four team, or but they are four and two uh, at this point. And and if we if we're looking about if it, if you know, would you go Gonzalez over uh, 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 Broderick Jones? Well. If you did that, what's what's the byproduct of that? Are you do you still have a shot at Joey Porter Jr.? Would this team have gone corner corner? Uh, probably unlikely. I mean, you go down a rabbit hole with the whole speculation and what ifs. These look right after the drafts are over every year. We do that that fun little exercise about you know redraft and all, and that that's just that's just fun to do. I I, I you have. To, 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 to properly, I think, look back at some of these redrafts sometimes. And if you were to do those redraft exercises exactly the way we do them on the site after, right after the draft, meaning that you can't take a seventh rounder in, in the first round or, you, mm-hmm. you know, you know what I'm saying? Staying with within re- reason of the next of, of the players that went off the board uh, uh, before uh, the, the next pick kind of exercise that we do. I think you got to let three years run by. I don't know if you need to let three years run by in this day and age. I think after two, I think you kind of get comfortable with the arc and the direction a player's career is going in 
the majority of cases. But to answer the question, I mean, I don't like playing the whole, you know, do over with the draft. I mean, you know, every GM would be great if they had two tools, a crystal ball or a time machine. We have neither of those or we're trying to use the, the time machine right now, but that's not how the draft works. I was a big Christian Gonzalez fan. He was like one of my dudes, you know, coming out. He was having a good year before getting hurt with New England. But I was happy with the Jones pick then. I'm happy with the Jones pick now. My mind's not going to change again based off of, uh, you know, six games. And look, the re- you know, the top top of the the rest of the, the Steelers draft class is, is seeing the field and making some impacts. Yeah, I think Benton looks great. Porter looks promising. I think Washington's rough around the edges, but he's playing. He's learning. He's growing. So the class, I think, has been been on the come up you know herbig's not seeing the field a lot but he but you can spot him when he's out there you know yeah yeah so i mean you know i'm I'm happy overall all right uh i think we're about what an hour and a half in this maybe a little longer yeah i guess we did run long today so we should probably wrap things up here all right uh we look to have a jaguars beat writer on the front for the friday show and uh we'll get into looking at the tape of the jaguars and any other player interviews, obviously you have a couple of injury reports to talk about uh, on, on Friday as well, too. So sorry, we couldn't get through all these emails once again, but, but keep them coming. If you ask something that didn't get answered and it's still relevant, recycle that thing through the email machine. So we see it. Uh, but until Friday, uh, you can follow me on Twitter slash X at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at terrible podcast. Email the show, the terrible podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause steedersdepot.com hit the donate button up right navigational bar also if you like an ad free version of the site steedersdepot.com and 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 find uh that option for you as well too so thank you everybody for listening we certainly do appreciate it uh appreciate the the the, the support on the site as well too traffic's been fantastic we couldn't do it without you as always thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with dave and alex